Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist, and now a health coach based in Arkansas, who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. I'm so pumped to introduce you to one of my favorite social media accounts that I follow. It's Ben Azadi. He was just a regular guy who discovered that your health is in your hands after his obesity and suicide ideation almost ended his life. This was one interview I was glad to get. You'll get to meet him right after this. Oh my, have I (laughs) found something? Have I opened a Pandora's box here? I just had my test results read to me at compounding at cornerstone.com. That's the website here in Little Rock, Arkansas, but all of my listeners can take advantage of the 20% off savings that you use Lisa at checkout to get the Dutch test. I did the Dutch. Um, my daughter did the saliva recently. We used 20% at checkout, actually, because we're in Arkansas. We walked in and said, Lisa at checkout. So you local folks can do that. But 20% off helps you a lot because it is pricier than the saliva but guys, I had 19 pages worth of data that Allison Ingram, the pharmacist there, she studies it like she's studying for her PhD. Like she knows more about me than anybody else here on the planet. It's amazing what you find out on the Dutch. I have high melatonin. I kind of have low, low cortisol, which surprises me. Um, my estradiol looks good, but it could be better. My testosterone is good. You know, all these things that you find out. I even found out through that test that I have a little gut dysbiosis. And I've had all the other GI tests run, but this is so telling. Find them online, compounding at cornerstone.com. You'll click on our services and then underneath you will see the link for hormone therapy. Guys and gals, get you one. Compounding at cornerstone.com. Guess who's on the RalstonFamilyFarms.com site right now? Well, that would be me because this food ain't going to cook itself. Yeah, I'm on the recipe link. That's where I go all the time because even as a meat-based dieter, meat is the majority of my food. I often have rice and then I have fruit too. They, they're the rice people. They're not the fruit people. They're the rice people. Non-GMO product grown right here in Arkansas. The sustainability, you can read about it there. You can read their story. Ten generations of farming, guys. I mean, it's very impressive. And they are the sweetest family, the Ralstons. And I love what they do. I love the fact that when you go to their website, you can see the recipe ideas. And I use them all the time. So one of my favorite things is I just did the purple rice last week. I cooked down the ground beef. I put the seasoning. I like. I then serve it over the rice, the purple rice I cooked in my bone broth. So I know that I'm getting collagen and all the things. And then um, I fry an egg, put it on top. I know you're mouse watering, isn't it? And then I also uh, put some cheese and sour cream and if I had some tomatoes, whatever. So that's what I do. I incorporate the recipes from RalstonFamilyFarms.com. White chicken chilies there, some kind of good grits. Oh, I did the cheese grits too last week. Maybe I had two different nights where I had a Ralston product, which is very common around here. Oh, the Nature's Blend Hummus Bowls. Stop it. It's on their website. Check them out and shop with them. If you are anywhere that they sell Ralston Family Farms rice and they do all over the country, you need to click buy now. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, Ben Azadi. I, dude, I've been chasing you down. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. You are so stinking popular because you're Mr. Keto Camp. So tell me, I know your story, but people may get a tear in their eye when you tell how you turned your life around. So uh, bring your story to me. Lisa, thank you. I admire your work and it's an honor to be on your show today. Thank so you. thank you so much. Yeah, my story, you know, like many, many people who are kind of going through this right now is a story of somebody who followed a failed conventional approach of the standard American diet, which we know is highly processed. I didn't know any better growing up. Um, As I was mentioning to you offline, my parents were born in Iran. I was born here in America and they came to America and we all followed the standard American diet approach. And my mom worked three jobs. Parents got divorced because they had an arranged marriage in Iran, Mm -hmm. then got divorced here in America. So... I was pretty much left to my own devices growing up. Uh, There's pros to that because I had complete freedom, but then 
there's cons to it because I didn't really have anybody at home to teach me what's right versus what's wrong. So I hung out with the wrong crowd. Um, the friends I had growing up were drug dealers and people who mm -hmm. are very unhealthy and you become your environment and I became mm -hmm. my environment. So I became very unhealthy too. To the point where I was one of those kids growing up who was uh, very low self-confidence. Uh, I never took off my shirt, even though I went to the beach all the time. I live in Miami Beach. Uh, I was bullied and picked on. I was depressed. Uh, I was physically obese and, and mentally obese as well. And nothing changed as I was a kid. Uh, that's how I was as a teenager. And I graduated high school, went to college. And then I found myself back in 2008 uh, at a really low point of my life. I was 24 years old. Uh, my girlfriend at that time, we were together for about four years. She ended up leaving the relationship because all I wanted to do was play video games. And she left me and I was devastated. And that's kind of an understatement. I was destroyed, distraught and broken, broken, ready to just give up on life. I was on the Internet looking for ways to end my life many, many times. I was tired of hurting every day, crying every single day. I was very mm -hmm. unhealthy. At that point, I weighed 250 pounds. And every time, Lisa, I explored suicide, the first thought that popped in my mind was, what kind of devastation would your mom have to deal with if you took your life? Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that to her. Uh, mm -hmm. I just kept thinking about my, about my mom, who's my superhero, and she still is to this day. So it stopped me, but it was a vicious cycle. And it wasn't until a few months into that whole going to explore suicide and stopping myself back and forth, a few months into that, a friend of mine handed me a book. Uh, two friends that are best friends of mine that are now married, they said, read this book. I, I really think it's going to help you in this difficult time you're dealing with. So I, I actually read the book uh, and one book led to five books, five books led to 20 books. And I just became obsessed, really just obsessed with these incredible authors like Bob Proctor and um, Dr. Wayne Dyer and yeah. Tony Robbins and so it's incredible, changing amazing the way authors. You thought. You, you're, you're mindset for you, right? Mostly mindset. It was not okay. even nutrition to begin right. with. Yeah, 100% actually mindset in the beginning. So I, I started to really focus in on my thoughts. And the books did so much for me. But the number one thing that it did for me, and this is what I hope for the world, especially here in America, is it, the books helped me take responsibility. Right. And that is the starting point for everything. That word responsibility, I believe most people don't even understand what that word means. And my definition is this. That is your ability to respond to life, your mm -hmm. responsibility my ability to respond to life until that point was poor. I was the victim, Lisa. Of course, of course I'm obese. I've got the genes for it. Uh, my right. dad is type 2 diabetic and he's mm -hmm. overweight. I got those genes. I'm from you know the Middle East, the mm -hmm. Asia area. We spoke about that. Of course, I got the genes and I blame that. I blame my slow metabolism and my enabling family members. But the second I took responsibility is the second all that went out the window and I became the victor of my future and my destiny, and I stopped being the victim of my history. And that was the starting point where I started to move my body and eat better. And I went through this incredible health transformation where I lost 80 pounds in about nine months, and I went from 34% body fat to 6% body fat. And that's where it all started for me. And then I became just a student, very curious, and I started to study health and nutrition. And that was about 14 years ago, and I've been in, in this game ever since then. Was uh, keto in our nomenclature in 2008? It was uh, kind of scattered out there, but I didn't do it with keto. Um, okay. So I did it with severe exercise, <laughs> extreme exercise, calorie counting, low fat. So I lost the weight, but I was still one of those fit, sick people, and I was still exploring what true health felt like. But it was a starting point, and it opened right. up a whole new door for me to kind of figure out what health really looked like and felt like. Because wouldn't you say now the last thing we want anyone to do is extreme dieting, low fat, and a lot of exercise? I mean, it, because of the cortisol, you know, the damage it does to our cortisol and then makes us fatter and hungrier. So now, of course, you were 24. And I yeah. will say, as my friend Christina says, I was adorable at 24. You know, at 60, I have to work harder and different in order to achieve the same results. And for me, it's not more exercise. So what does that look like for you today? I can't do math, but is that 16 years or 17 years later, 15? Yeah, it's about 14, 14 years ago, okay. um, 14, 15 years. Yeah, so definitely would not teach it that way, um, you know, as I learned about cellular metabolism. Because to your point, not, not only is it just extreme, it's a distraction because cutting calories is a distraction from what really matters, which is inflammation of yeah. your cells and membrane and, and hormone health. That should have been the, my main focus and it eventually was because 
It's just because somebody's fit and has six pack abs like I did does not mean they're healthy. Um, they could mm. be really looking good on the outside and be really unhealthy on the inside. So there's a right way to go about it. And I'm not denying that calories have its place, but I'm saying it's not important. It's very far down on that prior, that list of priorities. Uh, so in the nine months, you lose this weight, you you go back to the beach, and you're like, I'm an Adonis. Like, you're killing it. Um, did, did you get a girlfriend again? Did you change some things, you know, personally? Did you get the job of your dreams? What did you do then that helped? Because something else helped you soar. And I know mindset was one of it. And I know being in better physical condition, but there was something else that gave you the confidence to go, you know what? I'm going to be the keto camp guy of the solar system. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's funny because it's interesting that although I was very lean at 6% body fat and I had yeah, six pack say, abs, yeah. I still had the mindset of an obese man. Uh, it took me about two years. I've heard for people that to catch say up. that. So explain yeah. to me what, because I've never walked that path of being over, really overweight. So tell me what uh, people who have gastric bypass will always say, oh, I still look at myself in the mirror and I, I, I see or think like an obese person. So tell me what that means. Yeah, well, there's a great book called Psycho-Cybernetics from Maxwell Maltz, which is all about what you're just asking here. And he was a plastic surgeon and he saw the same thing, although oh. he would fix, you know, um, facial uh, features that were um, like big long noses, scars, et cetera. Yeah. He would fix that. They would still see it in the mirror and feel like, feel like they still had it even wow. after the surgery because everybody has this set point and it's their self-image. So it wasn't until I started working on my self-image that it started to match actually how I looked. And that was a result of just reading more books and becoming really conscious and aware of my thoughts. And that took about two years. There was one really good book that's a really small book because I was still kind of going in and out of depression after that point. Mm -hmm. And I read this book, it's called um, Love Yourself Like Your Life Dependent On It. I, I don't know how I came across it, but I read it. And it was all about your thoughts and affirmations. And, it, and that was like the starting point for me to really develop a stronger self-image. And then ever since then, I'm still working on it till this day. What was your uh, vocational interest at, at that age? You know, I mean, I, I knew you went to college and majored in video games, but you know, what did your parents <laughs> think you were doing with the money with your degree? It's funny because I was pretty damn good in video games. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Kind of like I got a major in it. I, at that time, when I went through my transformation, I was working at a, a packing and shipping store as a manager. And then I went and I got through my transformation and then I started having a lot of people ask me, how did I do it? So I started doing personal training for them and uh, I eventually left my job to become a full-time personal trainer where I would just travel to clients, oh, train okay. them. That evolved into me um, learning more about nutrition and getting certified as a health coach with uh, Functional Diagnostic Nutrition, uh, FDN. Um, but uh, that was the pivot. I've never had a corporate job. Um, that was like my only nine to five job. But after I went through my transformation, that evolved into a, a career and uh, the health space. Well, I know how you feel about uh, the thing that makes my life better, intermittent fasting. I know how you feel about it. But I have to fight the gym rats at my gym who are still <laughs> telling my clients to eat five and six times a day. So were you an outlier then or were you following that mantra? I was following that mantra for a few years. I yeah. was teaching people. I was doing, I used, I used to do seminar. I used to own a CrossFit gym. That was part of my story. And I used to do seminars at my CrossFit gym. I used to call it the science of fat loss, where I used to teach them how to count their um, macros and, cal well, calories over macros and teach yeah. them how to get into this deficit. And it doesn't matter if you eat five to 20 times a day, as long as you're in a deficit. So I was definitely in the wrong camp. <laughs> and I figured out that I was doing my community a big disservice. So I, I made a pivot. That you admit it really brings your name to the forefront where people can back you because the people I argue with here will still say, don't believe Lisa Fisher. She's wrong. You should, you should, you know, eat five or six times a day. You shouldn't skip breakfast or whatever I'm helping a client with. So I, I have the people that I know who haven't really opened their eyes to this. I mean, aren't we all about trust the science? <laughs> the, but truly, this kind of science, this is the science that I'm on the side of because Dr. Fauci's not involved with this. He gets involved with this, and then I'm probably going to jump ship. But my point is, um, so what year was that that you started realizing this time-restricted eating, it, it kind of works? It was in uh, 2013, 2014. Uh, that's when I discovered 
uh, intermittent fasting and keto at the same time. I was yeah. actually transitioning from a vegan <laughs> diet because I wow. went down that rabbit hole. I was a vegan for a year and a half and it did not work. And then I started to research um, intermittent fasting and keto. When was it that you discovered intermittent fasting? Uh, 2017. My son, who is really good on the video games, um, <laughs> was an engineering student at LSU and would make these long drives back to Little Rock. And he would listen to a podcast with Jen Stevens oh, about cool. intermittent fasting. I ended up being friends with Jen now. but um, he And he was doing keto. So he was doing it because he... Um, wasn't a D1 athlete because engineers aren't on the football team, as you probably know. They do all the intramural stuff. So as an intramural athlete, he would bring the intel back and say, hey, all these guys are, and we were about to go to the Olympics too. We were going to the Olympics in 18 in Rio. And my son said, hey, these guys that I play on the intramural football team, because, um, you know, he looks like an athlete, he's 6'3", 210, you know, physically fit, cut. But... He said they're doing keto and intermittent fasting. So that's wow. that was kind of the first time I'd heard keto. But then fasting, I had to I had to say, well, you've lost your mind because we all know I have to eat 19 times a day because I have low blood sugars. What I told him, and I'm a, a thyroid patient. So I, I mean, I was so defensive immediately. And he said, Mom, I don't get a commission. You know, I, I'm just telling you. Because I said, why are you telling me this? I said, do you think your mother needs to lose weight? Do you, I said, do you think your mother's fat? Because if so, you won't see your 21st birthday because he was 20. <laughs> I'm a really encouraging I mother. See. And he said, no, I'm telling you because you are concerned about health. I go, what does fasting have to do? My face made that look. What does fasting have to do with health? And he sat down. He goes, well, let me tell you some things that I'm learning. And so hmm. that it totally, the blinders lifted and I just started, my story is I just started, he didn't give me any other options. He said it was 6.30 at night. He goes, well, don't eat again until tomorrow at 12.30. I go, okay. You know, and that was it. And it was, now my clients, I, I'm a little work, walk more gingerly into the path because people panic if they think they can't have their candy coffee in the morning, like <laughs> breathing into a paper bag. You know, I'm like, I can't do it. So when he told me about it, he, cause he was keto first. So I knew he came from the, well, if I'm going to drink, I'll have a vodka, you know, or if I, but he was in, his challenge was in Baton Rouge, it's all things fried because yeah. they love fried crawfish. They love fried shrimp. They love, so he would be one of the few in his roommates that were all engineers who lived together and they would be the ones that would have the boiled crawfish and the boiled, you know, and they didn't drink the beer. So that's the first time I'd heard about keto. But I will say, and I've heard Jen Stevens say this too, when I first looked at keto, and so this was five years ago, five or six years ago, was about probably about 54, 55. I probably just started going, I was probably menopausal then or perimenopausal. I don't know if it has something to do with hormones, but I remember not feeling satisfied. And now as a carnivore, I have high satiety. So I I don't, what do you think flipped my switch? What, do you think it's a difference in those two, even though they're very similar, but yeah. there's something about carnivore that gives me such complete satiety that I never look to snack. I never look for something sugary. What do you think it is? I feel the same way when I do carnivore. I um, almost feel like I undereat some days because I'm just mm -hmm. so full mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and to do OMAD, right? And yeah. I don't want to do too much OMAD. So I think it's a combination of a few things. You increase your protein, and we know how satisfying animal protein is. Yeah. It, it activates cholecystokinin, mm -hmm. leptin, oh. peptide YY. I, I say that all the time. I like my tail wags because Dr. Fung taught us this. Yes. It, like, I've done a deep dive into cholecystokinin, and I think it's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. So that's what you get with protein. And naturally, yes. when you do carnivore, you're going to eat more protein, and you'll get that effect. And I mean... Technically, carnivore is keto um, because yeah. most people, unless you're it doing is. it with like the fruit, you're going to be in ketosis. So it is different though because you're kind of decreasing some of your fat and focusing on protein. I think that's the biggest reason why you felt, and a lot of people, even myself, feel satiated because yes. you, you can't really overeat protein. It's so satisfying, but you can overeat fat and you could overeat especially carbohydrates. So yes, I think it's the sure. protein that's the key there. Um, I do think sometimes I battle personally because of... Uh, we learned that cholecystokinin and is it peptide YY? Peptide YY yep. is the other one. They only fire when you have fat and protein. And what is a carnivore diet is fat and protein. But Correct. I do get full so quickly. 
um, that I, I do think there are days I don't eat enough and I, I, I don't try to do OMAD. I'm just, you know, if I don't eat till two or three o'clock and I have steak and eggs and I fry the cheese. Have you done the fried cheese? It's in a brick like this. People, you need to find it at your grocery store. They it's in a brick it like, like this. You slice it into like sticks and you put it in the skillet and fry it and it doesn't melt. It is the most amazing thing, but it's so satisfying that I don't even eat my whole meal. I'm kind of finished and then I'm not going to eat again late. I mean, I'm not, let's say six o'clock. Let's say I want to eat from three to six or so. I'm not hungry again at six, so I do go to bed. I mean, I'm fine. Clearly, I'm not withering away. I'm good. <laughs> but my point is, um, I I can't help but fall into the pattern of OMAD when I do that because it is so satisfying. Do you balance out? Do you think there are days that we all need more nutrition? I don't like to talk, talk about calories, but we need more nutrient-dense food. And maybe if I do have a day where I don't eat a lot, the next day... Should I start earlier and eat more if I can get it in? I do think that's the name of the game. I, I teach this to my uh, Keto Camp Academy students. I'll help them find out what their protein requirement is based off of their goals and where they're at. And then I tell them, look, that's what I want you to hit most days, but it's okay if you're in a deficit some days because that's pretty much how our cells are designed, feast, famine, cycling. Um, so yeah. there's going to be days where we eat an abundance of healthy food, quality food, protein, and we'll be in a caloric surplus if you want to call it that. Yeah. And then there's days where we're in a, um, we're not in a surplus. We're actually in a more of a catabolic state, and that's okay. I, I think it's a good balance, and I, I like the idea of mixing things up too, because yeah. the body has to continuously adapt. Like a great personal trainer, you you go to the gym. Great personal mm-hmm. trainers, they have all one thing in common. They all change up their workout routine, yeah. keeps the body guessing and adapting. So I think we could do the same thing with our nutrition and our feast, famine, cycling. Uh, do you incorporate fruit into your diet at all? I do, yeah. So I mean, I, I I go in and out of ketosis. I'm not lo- I'm not in ketosis long term because I've done a lot of the work on myself. So I'm able to have fruit. I have a healthy metabolism. Somebody who's more insulin resistant, type two diabetic, of course, they would not get away with that. But I do well with fruit. I, I like fruit. Um, I'm very active. I play a lot of basketball. I have fruit around that as well. So I use it strategically. Uh, do you follow the glucose goddess and what she says in the food stacking or however, whatever introduction? So she says eat protein and fat first because you're trying to mitigate insulin, then carbs, and then fruit or dessert at the end. Yeah. I've, I'm, I, I didn't know she taught that, uh, but yeah. I, I, I follow that approach and I teach that. There's there's a benefit to putting leaving your carbs, especially fruit at the end. Um, you'll get less of a postprandial glucose spike. So it's like I always tell my students, it's a great dessert, you know, especially like something like cherries. I was just doing, I'm, I'm putting together a video on nine keto fruits you can eat uh, and like the recommendation of how much you can eat before it kicks you out of ketosis. And cherries, one of them, and cherry would be a great dessert because it also helps you produce melatonin. So something like that would be oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, getting raw dairy, if you can find it, I do organic blueberries with, raw dairy if I can find it or I go to the Indian rest, uh, Indian supply store that has Indian yogurt because it's really high in fat and it's mm. really I think it's really low in sugar I don't know but it's not like American yogurt because it's not as sweet it's you know has the bite to it and then local raw local dairy I mean um, honey with mm-hmm. it if I de- but I don't even need that I mean but I tell people that just so that they're not gripping on to dear life to me going how am I gonna live without this so I know that really has worked for me and it's a great thing to fill that sweet tooth one thing that I think I've really changed in the last few years was um snacking i've totally eliminated snacking i don't need to because again i eat foods that are so satisfying um but i remember when in my diet brain because i still have diet brain i mean even though i didn't have a lot to lose i still have diet brain um we were always told hey if you're hungry grab an apple grab a handful of grapes and that's the last thing i would tell someone now do you have that same philosophy of totally. I mean, naked carbs are the worst. Um, if you're going to grab an apple and eat that without any fat or protein, it's like you're going to get a huge glucose spike, especially the 88% of Americans who are yeah. metabolically challenged. So you're much better off. If you're going to snack, which I agree, there's no need to snack. If you're eating enough quality food and protein, it's like you're naturally not going to need to snack. But if you are going to snack, 
protein and fat is your best friend. Um, You're going to have a better glucose response, insulin response. You're not going to get that spike and crash. So I'm totally with you on that. Um, You know, Miami has really good food, like really (laughs) good food and really good fruits, you know, so and things like that. So I'll give that to you. But I I, so on Ben Azadi's birthday, does he have a ribeye with a candle in it and then, you know, butter? Is your whipped cream or do you eat like normal foods like the rest of us for birthday or Christmas? I'll, I'll, so the, here's the two things I don't make an exception on. I, I um, never have seed oils, consciously, right. knowingly, and right. I don't have gluten. Um, outside of that, if it's a celebration, I'll have gelato. I'll have ice cream. Yeah. I'll have a gluten-free cake with no seed oil. So I will make that exception. It's not the normal. It's an exception, but... With seed oils and gluten, I don't do any of those because those will mess me up for a long period of time. Um, and why? Through like GI distress, inflammation, headache, nausea? Well, di- like- differently, right? For, yeah. for, so for gluten, for example, every time I have gluten, the next at least four days, I've got brain fog, joint pain. Yeah. I just don't digest it well. Uh, at least the American hybridized gluten. I haven't yeah. tried the gluten in Italy. And then yep. seed oils, I mean, those stick around for, the half-life is estimated to be about two years, 680 days. So I know insane? if I had a plate of seed oils, whatever I ate, that's going to be my body fat for several years. So I don't want to take that hit. Um, I've noticed now that we're friends, I can tell you this, I've noticed that gluten makes me toot for a few days. So. Yep. Yep. Same thing. Yep. Yeah. So um, I think everybody in my family knows if I have gluten. They're like, mm, mom. Um, so yeah, I've given that up. Okay, when did we start um, realizing that seed oil is killing us? Because you know, the American Heart Association recommends you should have eight tablespoons of canola oil a day or whatever, yeah. whatever those lies are that are bought and paid for. But exactly. when I didn't start hearing about seed oils and how corrupt they were till I'd say in the last year. When, when did this come into our, that we knew about it? It's gotten really um, more popular, you're right, to the last year or so, the last two yeah. years where people are posting about it, which is great. I love to see people, people post about it. For me, it was in 2015 when I started studying um, Dr. Pampa, who's actually my mentor now, Dr. Daniel Pampa. Oh, yeah. He um, put it on my radar, and then I saw Mercola talking about it. Yeah. So it's been on my radar since then, um, but a lot more research has come out since then. And you're right. The American Heart Association, if you go to your supermarket, you, they have their stamp of approval. And I brought that up to Dr. Kay Shanahan. And she, yeah. she called the American Heart Association the biggest fake news organization in America. Totally That's agree. what she said. Because you're right. They're bought and paid for. And they're just getting paid to put that stamp on there. And if you go on TikTok or Instagram, you see all these um, dietitians and fitness influencers who are telling you that canola oil is totally fine. And uh, they're, you know, putting it up as a health food and it lowers your cholesterol. And But it's definitely one of the worst things out there. It's worse than sugar. Um, some experts say it's worse than smoking. You it's, really it's highly think inflammatory. That. Even in, let me make a point here because when I asked Dr. Kay Shanahan, I gave her three scenarios, Lisa. I said, Dr. Kate, three scenarios, which one is worse? Which one is more inflammatory? Which one is going to lead to disease faster? Scenario number one, somebody smokes cigarettes every day. Scenario number two, somebody eats processed sugar every single day. And then scenario number three, somebody eats these seed oils, vegetable oils every single day. Which one's worse, Dr. Kate? And she goes, Ben, that's easy. It's the seed oils. She said, I know, here's why. She said, when you smoke cigarettes, of course, it's not good for you. But once you finish the last puff, the damage has been done. If you eat processed sugar, of course, that's not good for you, especially in excess. But you could exercise. You could burn off that excess glucose. There's ways to deal with that. But when you have these seed oils, they get gunked up, for lack of a better word, in your body fat because they're toxins and toxins love fat. They go in your body fat for that half-life of two years before you actually get rid of them. So I agree with her. They are more detrimental and they're everywhere. They're at restaurants. Uh, What I do, Lisa, if we ever have dinner together, I hope we do soon. I'm a good uh, You're probably the same way. Um, I tell the waiter or waitress, hey, what oil do you cook mm-hmm. your food in? And they're going to tell you it's a soybean or canola. Mm-hmm. And I say, hey. And they're so proud of themselves. And they're they so that. proud. Oh, we have a nice mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. olive oil yes. blend with blend. soybean. I'm That's like, right. oh, oh. So I say, me and my fiance and everybody at this table, we're allergic to these oils. And we're going to get a ding, reaction. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding. Then the yeah. manager comes. I just did yeah. this. The manager came out and he goes, man, we need to talk to you. We need to tell you that we use gloves. We don't cross-contaminate. I mean lawsuit is written all over the face going, 
That's why you have to use the it. word allergic instead of we prefer yep. not to yep. have it because yep. then they'll pay attention. And we're not lying. We're all allergic to vegetables. We are it's allergic. It's going to cause an inflammatory response. But here's the cool thing. I've never had a situation where they said, we can't serve you. We don't have any other options. Get out of our restaurant. They'll either bake it, they'll grill it, or they'll have butter, or they'll have coconut. They'll have some sort of option, but you got to make the request. That's the thing. Um, because of the way we eat, and you do too, because when you get old, you're going to get in the car, and y'all are going to go places, and you're going to have the best time. So my husband and I, after 35 years of marriage, we get in the car, and we travel places. So there's usually nothing on the I'm not going to eat fast food. But I can go into a Waffle House now, ask them to cook it in butter or bacon fat. You should see everyone comes over because they're like, we use margarine and seed oil. And I'm like, I know that's a thing I don't <laughs> want. And I said, cook my, so all we eat are bacon and eggs at Waffle House. I, do you need the hash browns? Nope. Need the toast? Nope. Do you need jelly? with? Nope. In fact, I order an iced tea and ask for they don't have heavy cream. They have half and half. And I make my own latte with no sugar. They call it the Lisa at the Russellville Waffle House if anyone wants to go. They <laughs> named brilliant. it for me. me. <laughs> so, but you, it's just funny when you say it, how people go, wait, you don't want margarine? I go, no, because I'd like to see my next birthday. Like Exactly. Son they, that time, you know? It's so common that they think it's like healthy and normal for you, but it's yeah. the exact opposite. I always get asked, Lisa, you know, because there's a lot of, Let's face it, there's a lot of conflicting information in our space. Yes, go vegan, yeah. go carnivore, go keto, yes. go paleo, whatever it yes. is. And um, I always get asked, like, when I speak on, like, panels, usually, uh, how do you, like, cut through the noise and create clarity for people here? Like, how do you know what the right approach is? And here's the best advice that I could give, and I always give this, and I know you align with this. Follow what the government is teaching you when it comes to nutrition and pay close attention and then just do the exact opposite and you're going to be healthy. That is a fact. We say it all the time. Because exactly. I think Saladino said that once too. Somebody said it. My husband Sounds like said, something you would say. Yeah. My husband said, he goes, whatever you've been taught, do the opposite. So, which is, I think in younger people, it's easier for them to see because they're, I mean, I was raised, I mean, in the, I was on TV and radio in the 80s, so we were, um, we started a no cholesterol push. My TV station was testing cholesterol, and we were all told to stop eating shrimp and lobster because it was high in cholesterol. Wow. So that was immediate, that was immediate push in the 80s. Oh, and we were doing low fat. We had popcorn all day. I bet I tooted all the time then because I now know I have corn. Because <laughs> the corn we have now is not the corn our grandparents had, you know. It's true. Um, so I'm saying I've lived through several iterations or iter- whatever that word is, iterations of iterations. life. And yes, of the way our thought life has been. So, but because I can see, I, I know when I've been lied to. That's why this whole COVID thing was hard for me because I'm like, I'm being lied to. I mean, I know that. It's I'm a journalist. Remember, we ask questions. We we go, but no, that's not right. But so I think people in their 20s, like my kids are totally on board. In fact, they, my son, obviously my youngest um, is also a graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition like I am. She's a vegan though. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah, we'll discuss that another time. <laughs> How long she's, has she been a vegan for? She's a fit pescatarian. Okay, that's a little um, better. How long? Has that's she- right. Cause, uh, I'd say about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. She hasn't even put food in the microwave in two years. Like, she doesn't drink alcohol, doesn't smoke. Doesn't drink. I mean, she's she's a professional model, so she's in with a group of people who are like minded too. Let's talk burgers just a moment. If you're in central Arkansas, there's one name that comes to mind, and your mouth might water too. It's David's Burgers. DavidsBurgers.com. Ten locations. They've been around ten years, but you know they're not a first generation burger house. They came from the folks up in Russellville. A lot of people remember CJ's Butcher Boy, I think is what it's called, known for their good burgers. That's what David's Burgers does. You'll see the meat in the case that they just got in and they it's ground up and then they put it into burgers. And so for someone like me who has a meat based diet, I do eat other things. um, It's an easy drive through or really we go in and sit down. We like sitting down in there. We like the customer service. 
And yeah, even though I'm meat-based, have you had their french fries? You'll love their french fries. You'll love all the food at David's Burgers. You'll love knowing that by supporting the Bubba's family, by, by shopping with them, you are then helping, in the end, charities because they work with Project Zero and some other Arkansas charities. That's what I love about them. They're a great family. And they have even better food than they are a great family. So I'm telling you, the food is really, really good. Check them out, davidsburgers.com. Let's talk about why I started using the products from Beauty Counter. It was probably uh, maybe 2020. I'd heard about it for years, but I thought, really, does it make a difference? Yes, it does. These are the products. I mean, Beauty Counter is known. You go to ewg.org or go to their app and you put the Beauty Counter products in and they're the safest on the market. So that means no phthalates, no parabens. Um, Those are things that are cancer causing. Those are things that disrupt your endocrine system. And boy, I talk a lot about estrogen and and our hormones on this podcast. So I'm trying to protect mine and to protect mine and even my children and grandchildren. I'll give my girls something from Beauty Counter and say, here's the link, order something. And I'm saying that to you now because in February, if you're listening to this podcast in February of 2023, there is a discount for first-time purchasers. And that's how I did it then. And I've been hooked ever since. And it's clean for all 30. That will be in the show notes. But I want you to try it. And they have a money back guarantee. I just sent something back yesterday because I didn't like the smell. It was, I've even changed out my deodorant everything because of anything that is in contact with my skin. I try to be really pristine about it. And I didn't love the smells. Free shipping back and I'll just order some more. Not a big deal. But link is in the show notes. Consider clean for all 30, 30% off. It's a great deal, guys. You'll love it. Beautycounter.com slash Lisa Fisher. All that to say, my kids are very open to me when I say things like, I mean, she knows seed oils are going to kill you, you know, because she's had the same schooling and is in that same space. But her peers are more open than when I sit across the table from someone who's my age, a postmenopausal woman, who tells me about the statins they're on and the synthetic mm-hmm. hormones they're on. And they're so proud because their doctor prescribed it. And I, I always say, you know, he wins the trip to Cabo if you yeah. buy, you know, what he's selling. Mm-hmm. It's like the kid that's selling you the Christmas wrapping paper every October. I mean, they win a trip if you sell all the cookies, right? And they're like, what? You know, it's just, it, it's it's brainwashing that we have to take their brains and wash it back the other way. Yep. So in all these things, that's why I'm saying, I think now, though, what you did in 2008 and you going on your trajectory, your journey, you were, I mean, we had the Internet, but we didn't have social media influencers. We didn't we didn't have a health space. So you were really on your own carving your way. Would yeah, you say that's right. right? Yeah, it was a different, totally different ballgame. There was a few like podcasts out there. One of them I was li- I would listen to would be. Underground Wellness by Sean Croxton was like one of the first health podcasts. Yeah, and then eventually um, Ben Greenfield and Dave Asprey yeah. came on the scene, but that wasn't until years later. So I learned pretty much by trial and error for myself and then for the clients I was working with. And that, there's something to be said for that because as you know, Lisa, there's one thing that shows, that, well, the research shows this and it's cool to look at research and it gives you clues, but then it's different sometimes, maybe a lot of times when you actually apply it clinically and you're in the trenches, right? So it's, it's not just what the research shows, even if it's compelling research, it's what it looks like when it's actually applied with all these other unique variables. And you're in the trenches like me. I work with a lot of people. I'm looking at lab work. So it's, mm-hmm. it's different. So when I see people like, that, I, that I respect, like uh, Huberman and, and uh, mm-hmm. Peter Atia and all these mm-hmm. brilliant people, um, they, I, I think one of the things they do wrong, in my just humble opinion, is they, they just look strate- strategically, just strictly at the re- research. But when you apply it, it might show a different story. Um, I don't know how you, what your thoughts are on that, but there's two things we want to pay attention to, how it looks like clinically, but also what the research shows. Well, they are PhDs or Huberman's PhD. Is Peter Atia an MD? I think he's an MD, yeah. An MD, okay. So there's scientific, you know, of course, and all that science has a financial gain to it. So you have to really, it's nuanced at that point. And that's one thing I learned at IIN is, and that's what my pescatarian daughter says, bio-individuality. Because, you know, 
she has complained about an issue and I've said, well, I think, you know, you have too many carbs in your, and she really, she, I mean, she has, I'm trying to think avocado and fish and mm, quinoa, you know, weird things like quinoa. <laughs> you should see what she picks out for her. She makes her own side dishes for Christmas and Thanksgiving and they're just weird. Jackfruit <laughs> that looks like pork, you know, barbecue. But anyway, done a, oh, a Dutch, have you done a Dutch test on her? Um, I'm doing mine. I'm doing mine this week first. I mean, see, because, you know, you have to practically sell a kidney to get one of those. They're like 500 bucks. <laughs> she yes. just did the saliva test um, because I wanted to see what was going on. And it showed me some things that, you know, I think I'm a doctor. I'm 12 years away from her degree. But I was right. On, I think I'm right. She is seeing a naturopath. So at least she's good. in good hands. That's great. Um, but with all this, I do think things are nuanced. And that's what she kind of tells my husband and me, y'all bio-individuality, this is working for me. And I go, I think it's because you're 24 and it can work for you. But I think like with you, you hit the wall. Dave Asprey, I mean, uh, Paul Saladino, I think may have had some vegan roots. But tell me then your transition. What made you run from a vegan diet and embrace more um, meat? Well, you know, to your point, it's working for your daughter right now, and it's working for a lot of people, maybe, who are doing the vegan diet. But eventually, it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. That's what I think, yeah. There's not one culture in the history of this world that followed any diet long term, you know, not even a keto uh, approach. They kind of went in and out. Uh, When they had fruit available, they took advantage of that. But especially a vegan approach. So. Her, the fact that she's doing so many things right, you mentioned that she's yeah. not really having seed oils and she's eating pretty clean. Mm-hmm. Her, her, her stress bucket is pretty low, but mm-hmm. eventually it, it will catch up with her and it, catches, it, ca- it caught up to me. Um, so I was a few months into my vegan diet, which was back 2012-ish. I was feeling, feeling great. I actually felt really awesome the first three months or so. My, my training got better, mental clarity. I actually lost some weight. Because it was the change. The change kind of sh- right. shocked my body and it had to adapt. Sure. But then eventually you hit that vegan wall. And for me, it was about four months into it. But I was very dogmatic about it. I told all my friends they have to be vegan. I was uh, <laughs> touting the China study, which is a very poor book to tout. I didn't understand how to read studies really good back then. Right. Um, so I put myself in a box. But then eventually, 15 months into it, I'm like, okay, uh, I have brain fog. I'm gaining mm-hmm. weight. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. feel good hormonally. My workouts mm-hmm. are taking me three to four days to recover. Something seems off. So I did lab work and it verified what I was feeling. So that at that point is, is where I started to research outside of that vegan box. And that's when I came across Mercola, Dr. Mm-hmm. Pampa, eventually Dave Asprey. And I started to research on intermittent fasting and keto. And then I fell in love with that. I applied it and I felt really good. And then eventually, you know, a few down, a few years later, uh, carnivore was another tool added into my toolbox. But ever since I did keto and intermittent fasting, that was the first time I experienced what true cellular health felt like outside mm-hmm. and inside. And I want that for for everybody, right? We could we could accomplish that. So that's that was the transition for me from vegan to keto, essentially. Well, the one compromise that a vegan diet does. I mean, look at I've used this example before, but. Uh, Courtney Kardashian is married to uh, Travis Barker and they're mm-hmm. trying to have a baby. Well, Travis Barker is the size of this pen as a vegan because it's not a robust look. Not I didn't a good know he look. was a vegan. That makes sense though. And they can't have a baby. Mm. Have trouble conceiving because what it does to compromise your sex hormones because for one thing, it probably does drop your cholesterol which I love my high cholesterol because you know what? My sex hormones sing to each other. Yeah. And um, her ability to conceive and his ability not to fire blanks. I mean, yeah. we're talking about it on a cellular level, on a sperm level. So what you probably saw was when you did your first lab work, was your testosterone low? Very low. It was uh, I was 20. How old was I? Uh, no, I was, I was, let's see, 2012. I was probably like 28 years old. And yeah. 27, 28, my t- total testosterone was around a little under 300 total. Wow. Yeah. And what is it now? Uh, I don't know. The last time I checked, I think it was like six, 600 and something. You but that was it, a, about a year ago. I'm due for another one. But you doubled it in that. Yeah, tripled I mean, it. Yeah. Okay. We know Almost, the science. Yeah, I guess doubled. Yeah. Of, of what meat does just your testosterone. Eating cholesterol, you know? Yes. So, eating. like you said, it's, it builds your sex hormones. I, yes. I'm more concerned with somebody under 200 total cholesterol than Me too. over it. I mean, over is important to be over 200. 
And do you know how many physicians put gold stars beside people's names when it's 179, 184? And I go, oh, so you want dementia? They're like, wait, what? You know, no, you please stop. Stop with the, of course, you know, our feeling on statins. I mean, I could go on and on. Just um, killer drugs. We have killer mm-hmm. drugs. So it, yeah. what kind of health provider do you see? I know when, I know you probably don't go often, but would you see a functional medicine doctor if something, you know, if you thought your gallbladder, I mean, if you had a gallbladder attack or you had a sore throat or do you see a naturopath? So I, I, I'm kind of blessed because I, in my group, I mentioned Dr. Pampa's my mentor, yep. and, and then we, we have a group, there's about 47 doctors in there from chiropractors to medical doctors yep. to naturopaths to biological dentists. So I just, I reach out to them <laughs> if I have yep. an issue or a question. Um, but I, other than that, if it's not anything serious, I, I run all my lab work on myself. Uh, yep. I do tests on myself. I'm due to do one. Uh, another set of lab work and a Dutch test very soon. So I, I pretty much am my own kind of health detective. Oh, oh, I've been my own doctor for years. Yeah. I titrate my own thyroid medicine. I tell them nice. what I need. And you know, every time they go, well, that's pretty good. I go, I've been doing the research. So again, um, because no one can be an advocate for Lisa Fisher, like Lisa Fisher, that's you right. know, or Ben Azadi, like Ben Azadi. So that's how I want people to look at themselves is not to be, you know, it, it's to be skeptical and going in, but no, I'm not combative. I listen, but sometimes I will say, if I, I mean, again, that's if I have to see somebody who's not my regular functional medicine. I, I go to a nurse practitioner for my thyroid and my bioidentical hormone replacement. So it's it's a great place to be. Definitely Google nurse practitioner, bioidentical hormones in your area and look yeah. for the ones that take insurance. That's, that's the other benefit. You can uh, do that. Now, I love Saladino talks about um, how he reversed his eczema. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Rogan, through carnivore, Joe Rogan reversed his vitiligo and that's what i'm working on right now is repigmenting my vitiligo i have Have you noticed have you noticed the difference yes i have two new olive you know i have russian jewish descent so i really have olive skin it's just so fair because i have no pigment on my face but i have two new little brown spots and they're not old old lady brown spots because i'm not having that but they're actual pigment and so i have new pigment on my hands you can barely see but i have little dots again I'm 60. I'll be here another 35 years tormenting everybody. I've got time. I'm not in a hurry. That and is so cool. And you know so what? Cool. For, for the things that I have to cover, I have TV makeup. For people like me that have to have the thicker makeup, I use things for when I do TV stuff. Dermablend, and I cover it, and nobody knows. Nobody knows on my face for sure. So what are yeah, some things? You, yeah, well, you can, yeah, you can kind of sometimes see. But again, I've covered it. Let's see, you can see on my neck there. There's like such a, a power line. to like the human body, the adaptability of the human body. You remove the interference and it goes to heal, and that's a perfect example. Your vitiligo, yeah, right? Exactly. What did you reverse? Now, uh, obviously, mental conditions. We know by everything Perlmutter has said and all the research about what wheat and gluten and carbs do for depression, anxiety, and even schizophrenia. You remove gluten and people's schizophrenia dissipate so besides your mental situation what were did you have skin issues gi distress anything that you reversed yeah i actually so my my history is unique because i did a lot of damage when i used to eat just junk food and i was obese but then i also got um i had eight silver fillings in my mouth silver Mm. amalgam fillings for 20 plus years i got them in as a kid so i had mercury poisoning from that I know. And then the home I lived in, previous home, had mold, um, mm-hmm. hidden black mold. So mm-hmm. I had mold poisoning, mercury poisoning, and then my, my health was kind of coming to a screeching halt until I took care of that. So I went to a bi- biological dentist yeah. who I go to. That's one practitioner that I do visit often, my biological dentist. Oh, good. Got the fillings out, mm-hmm. detoxed the mercury, got out of the moldy home, detoxed the mold, took care of that. But then Something that has reoccurred over the last 15 years or so has been an autoimmune condition, Raynaud's. Are you familiar with Raynaud's, Lisa? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my mother-in-law had it. Mm -hmm. Your mother-in-law had it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I've had for many, many years. And it was really bad to the point where, like, I remember I was hiking in um, Washington State five or six years ago at this place called Snow Lake Mountain. And then I polar plunged into the lake there and it was super cold and it felt really great. But I didn't realize how bad my Raynaud's was. And I got out of that polar plunge and I looked at my fingers and from 
the tip of my fingers all the way to my wrist was completely white, no blood flow. I couldn't even like do this. I couldn't mm. even squeeze my fingers. So I thought I was going to lose my fingers. I had to find, because nobody was around there. Mm. So I saw, thank God, people that were hiking far away and I yelled for them and they had a lighter and I held a lighter underneath my fingers to kind of get the blood flow back. Um, and that was before I detoxed the mercury, the molds. Um, and then after I detoxed the mercury, the mold, the mold, all that got much better. But I was still getting flare-ups with my Raynaud's maybe um, every couple times per month with the Raynaud's flare-up. And then I have another condition. And I always forget the name, but it's kind of the opposite of Raynaud's where the fingers get really hot and inflamed. It's another autoimmune condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, what carnivore did for that was really interesting because the first time I did a carnivore was three years ago where I decided, okay, hearing cool things about carnivore, I want to teach it to my students. I want to create a mm-hmm. portal for it, a pillar for it in my portal that I teach my students, but I got to do it first before I could teach them. So I did 40 days of carnivore where on day one, before I even started it, I did um, comprehensive lab work, full thyroid panel, inflammatory markers, um, hormones, C-reactive protein, just all the good stuff. And then on day 40, I did the same panel, but I also wanted to see how I felt and what it did for my Raynaud's flare-ups throughout the 40 days. And throughout those 40 days, I only had two small Raynaud's flare-ups um, throughout those 40 days, which was a huge, huge improvement for me. And it really was like, wow, this is really cool what it did for my autoimmune and ever since then, it's gotten so much better, and I'm really determined to get it to the point where I never get a Raynaud's flare-up. Now I'll get one maybe once every other month, or maybe if I was, I'm really like mentally stressed, it might flare it up, but it's now not common, and that's super cool. And that's what carnivore can do. That's what it can do to reset your gut. It did that for me. So now I do carnivore 30 to 40 days straight, three or four times a year. I'm going to do it with my, with my students January 1st to January 30th. I think it's, well, it's a World fantastic carnivore tool. Month. What? Yes. It's World Carnivore Month. That's exactly January. it. So yeah. it's perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Um, what's the longest fast you've done? Five day water fast. Yeah. I did five days this summer. It wasn't fun. Like I didn't have, I didn't start doing herkies and backflips. Like people are like on day four, I wanted to, you know, climb Everest. I didn't Everest. feel like no. that either. No. Mm-mm. My, in fact, I, I was in the middle. Um, it was time for me to, I think, have pellet therapy and she was testing my lab work my uh, provider and my glucose was 52 that morning and i was mine, saying mine got to uh, 52 as well that's funny that that's low but i your don't ketones care what you say what's that but were, did you check your ketones no no i didn't think to do that i was looking at fasting insulin and my fasting insulin normally is about 2.2 but it was 1.1 you know it was really low it looked like my pancreas might not work but it does that was just well, you were in a, time. you were in a, you, that was day 5 There's, of the fast that was day four. Day four, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, my glucose dropped to 52 as well at, at the lowest on day five, but my ketones were like 5.4. Um, so at that, looking at that for me, I wasn't concerned because my body was running on the ketones. But so yeah, that is low glucose. That. But as long as the ketones are surging, that's that's totally fine. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure they were. It And it's funny, people ask, like I do monthly Zoom calls for my fasting clients and I don't like really using telling that story because I don't want them to think that's what they should be doing. But I did have what my doctor thought was a precancerous uh, colon polyp. It was not. It was benign. And so I did it to kick, the, you know, use autophagy and kick the six cells to the curb. So I did it kind of prophylactically. I was on, you know, when you're having a colonoscopy and an upper GI, you're on day two just about, or I have to be because I have a rare swelling disorder. I have a motility issue. So I have to do longer fasting before I even do any of those tests. Mm. So I was on day two and my husband said, you might as well go to day five as he's eating a burger and fries, you know, <laughs> but he was right. He said, you might as well do it because the doctor came out and said, mm, that looked a little sus- suspicious to me just with the naked eye. He's such a liar. No, he wasn't. I mean, he really thought that. And then right. he came back and said, it was fine. It was benign and you healthy colon and all that. So I did it at that point. I thought, might as well. And that's why the only reason I even tell my clients is if they've said, have you done a long fast? Or what are the benefits of autophagy? And we know that it's a, the cellular clean out. And we know that even some smart oncologists now are saying, you've got cancer Monday. Hey, don't eat again until Friday. Let's look at your markers. It's amazing. Your CRP's down, you know, all these things. So I did it as biohacking and a test on myself. Will I do it again? Probably once a year 
I might do a three-day fast. It's great. Because I, I do think the benefits of autophagy are so great yeah. for everything. But I, the funny thing is, and I know you felt the same way, I wasn't starving at all. I, I mean, could I have eaten? Yeah. But it wasn't the hunger. Mine really at that point was the energy level. I did stay at my nurse practitioners that day, and we did an IV. So I did IV therapy. Um, just to give me a little boost. Again, no cartwheels. You know, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't swimming the English Channel. But it, I mean, I was fine. I was totally fine. But my husband's one who kept reading. He'd come in, like, wherever I was. He goes, I just read, but by day four, you're going to feel great. And I went, you've lied to me every day of this. So Everybody has a different experience with a long fast. I also, energy was low. I was just, like, in this deep healing state where I, I didn't yeah. touch and yeah. benefits are amazing to your point i think yeah. doing that once a year three to five days is a great protocol for for everybody yeah, yeah. And, I, and what i did it was the middle of july we have hot summers here i know you're in miami going you have no idea but we do have hot humid summers where are you and so in little rock arkansas okay it's it's humid um but during that time i rested and i'm not a resty kind of person but because it was hot and i didn't have the energy to do all the things i did um I still do TV work for people. I'm trying to think. Oh, it was t my TV work was the next day after I got to put food on a fork. <laughs> so I was so happy. And I did my meal to refeed was like watermelon because I wanted something with, I guess, the glucose. I mean, I don't, I was thirsty. Like I felt thirsty. Like the, my thirst, if I could have my thirst quenched, I would have felt better. I think I did watermelon and maybe yogurt. What did you, because that's a pivotal point. Some people yeah, yeah. have bad G GI distress. I did not because I think I was gentle. And then I wasn't carnivore yet, but I still probably had mild foods. What did you do to reef, to open your feasting window again? Yeah, well, to your point, it's very, if you're going to do a long fast, it's very important to break the fast very strategically, low and slow. I have a video on my YouTube channel on a two-day structure on how to break a block fast and it's based off of how much you weigh and it gives you what foods to eat, how much protein, etc. But what happens is during a long fast, you're starving down all this bacteria in your gut, HCL goes down, stomach enzymes go down. And if you break it on day three or day five with all this food, it's like you don't have the enzymes to break it down. Right, right, right. I can see that, yeah. So you could always supplement with enzymes. Yeah, that, that might help, but it's always good to go low and slow. So having some watermelon, which is a soft food, and some yogurt, soft food, that's great. Yeah. Steamed veggies, if you do veggies, steamed veggies, avocado, yeah. like uh, boiled eggs, those are those are good things to, to do it, to, to break your long fast with, and you ease into it. And it should be a two-day protocol if you're doing a five-day fast or longer. And on my yeah. YouTube channel, I have a whole, I, like I have a flip chart where I kind of write it all out for you. Okay, we're going to get to you, um, all your social media in a minute because it's fantastic. All that will be linked in the show notes. Everything about Ben. Uh, baby pictures. His first <laughs> I'm going to send all my baby photos to you. That's right. We're not going to do all that. Um, with your fasting protocol, so now with fasting protocol, what supplements do you think are really important to our tandem or to go along with that? Because maybe we do miss some things when we fast. I really don't feel like I do. But I do love me some bioptimizers, magnesium breakthrough. Yeah. And I would say that's my number one, very favorite. But what are some things you like that are a part of your life? For fasting specifically? Yeah, for yeah, people who are fasting. Yeah. And, uh, uh, magnesium. You know, is, any supplements. Yeah, magnesium is a great idea for somebody who fasts because um, it's a very important uh, mineral. So yeah, magnesium, yeah. I would throw that into the mix. Bioptimizers makes it I love their breakthrough. Yeah. Um, electrolytes in general, like sea salt. Yeah. Maybe mm -hmm. some Redmond's elect mm -hmm. Relight or Element. Either way is good. Those are awesome. If somebody's really like neurotoxic and they have a lot of toxins and they do a longer fast, they might get a big dump of toxins and they might feel awful because toxins hide out in our body fat. And when you fast, you start to um, use body fat for energy and those toxins get dumped. So I've seen a lot of people who are very toxic feel very awful. So they would use binders. They would use strong binders. I like a product called Cyto Detox and Bind from Systemic Formulas. And then another one, which I think would benefit everybody who does a long fast or any kind of fast would be hydrogen water. It would be a great um, thing to add into the mix. It actually could assist autophagy, the selective antioxidant. Oh, so that's not a racket. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I remember people kind of selling it at the beginning. I saw it at my gym. Oh, you know, you're thinking about alkaline water, no? Oh, well, oh, wait, I've seen that one, too. That's a total racket. That's a racket. That's a I'm not talking about alkaline thing. water. Yeah. No, I saw one time at our gym, one of the guys said, I've got hydrogen water. And I remember thinking, because I poo-pooed after the alkaline water, I knew that was a racket. Then I put them all in the racket category. <laughs> yeah, no. But hydrogen you like is legit. hydrogen. There's a, okay. there's a great website. Um, what is it? It is hydrogenstudies.com. Hydrogenstudies.com. Let me just verify that real quick. Yeah, hydrogenstudies.com. There's about a th- 1,235 studies there on hydrogen. Humans, animals, okay. it's really, it's legit, yeah. Great, great, great. Yeah, no, the alkaline water, is, for $5,000, you can, well, nothing. You can drink yeah, that's, water. Yeah, it's that actually going to create more gut dysbiosis. You don't want to make your gut alkaline. It's acidic. So, yeah, I'm not a fan yeah. of, like, hanging in those alkaline waters. Yeah, right, right. I heard Asprey talk about that. Now let's talk about, so you were also an early adopter of the benefits of social media, of doing online courses. I'm kind of dipping my toe in that. I should have my online course oh, cool. ready soon. But what are what are the first things you did, and what made you think, this is really going to work, because it's really worked? Well, I mean, YouTube, I, I think YouTube is the name of the game. Um, if you're going to choose one platform, social media-wise, to focus on, I would, I would still choose YouTube to this day. Okay. Now, TikTok okay. is hot and it's growing. It might even get banned. Who knows? Um, That's what I think. Probably will get banned. Yeah. But YouTube is here to stay. Um, you know, unfortunately, these are necessary evils. Like Google is a necessary evil. And YouTube, Google owns YouTube and it's a very big search engine. So I would focus on YouTube, creating quality, consistent content on YouTube to then um, take your audience, your community that you've built and served to your email list by giving them some some okay. guide, a free, amazing guide that serves them 12 pages or less. And then you serve them on your email list. And then if you have a course that you could take um, that education further, that would be the progression. Then you take them on a webinar or just directly to the email uh, to the course. Okay. Darren is um, off screen, but he's listening and taking notes feverishly. Cause that's, oh, cool. <laughs> that's how you get paid the big bucks with me. I don't blame him. <laughs> he does more for me than I could ever imagine. Darren's awesome. Um, Ben, you're terrific. I love your message. I love your enthusiasm for life. Now, tell me about your relationship now, because the girl broke up with you, and I hate her with all my heart. So <laughs> tell me about the girl now. Do we like her? <laughs> well, I, I don't hate the previous one. I actually okay. am still, I'm still in communication with her, and I, I actually thank her all the time because she made the right decision. And, That's a good point. And That's it all a good worked point. out. You know, back it allowed then, I didn't you have- to put... It allowed you to put the the search engine on your own heart and see where exactly. you had flaws. I, I and I do. I okay. I take it back. <laughs> but back then, believe, believe me, I was pretty pissed off. <laughs> angry. But right. now I'm all thank, I'm thankful for all of that. Um, my fiance Natasia is wonderful. Um, we've been together now for seven years. She lives with me. She's in the other room here, and we have a great relationship. She's wonderful. She works from home. She goes. She travels a lot with me when I speak all over the world, and uh, we travel a lot in general. So it's just a blessing to have her in my life. And you're still in communication. Your mother's still alive. My mom lives right down the street from me. I have every every Thursday. I have dinner with her. She's amazing. Yeah. Does she still cook Persian foods? Yes, all the time. <laughs> My favorite. Tell me what she tell me what she made like last week because I love Persian foods. So last week she it wasn't Persian. It was salmon and rice. But my okay. she's gonna make Persian food this um, Sunday for Christmas, and she's gonna make something called fusinjun. Have you heard of fusinjun before? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So fusinjun is a, a traditional Persian meal. It's my favorite Persian meal, where it's. Um, chi- like a whole chicken, organic whole yep. chicken, cooked in a yep. pot with this pomegranate walnut sauce. And it's absolutely oh. delicious. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, that's kind of a grainy culture with foods, whether it it's couscous or rice, um, non bread. So, what, what are the choices you will eat from that region? Well, I mean, all. you know. On a, on a, on a fl- I call it a keto flex day, which is a higher carb day for me. I would have the white rice. Um, so I have the white rice with that fusinjun. She makes a lot of kebab too, which is meat. Great yeah. for carnivore. Right. I don't do the lentils. I don't do beans in general. She'll, she'll make lentils a lot. I don't do that. Right. She makes like a cucumber salad, which I don't eat. I don't eat couscous. So yeah, I'm really s- selective. And she knows my preference now <laughs> over the years. Have you ever traveled to Israel? No, not yet. Because I'm going next year, and um, that's one thing, because it's similar food. I mean, obviously, it, it is the Middle East, you know, these similar yes. foods. Um, and so I've already thought about, what am I going to eat? Because food, I'm all about food. That's the My greatest part the about... Way. Yeah, that, that's she, the greatest part about being a carnivore. She plans the whole trip based off of that. 
Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> I start daydreaming about, huh, what am I going to eat? Because here's what fasting has taught me. You know, and, and Jen Stevens coined the phrase of being window worthy, which of course is a Seinfeld sponge worthy. You know, it's from the sponge Oh yeah, movie. that's right. It, it, I remember that episode. Same, yes, I love that episode. But it's the same thing. <laughs> I'm not going to waste my time on something I don't completely love because A, I get full so easily. I don't need a lot. I'd rather, you know, foods that are... Uh, dense you know nutritionally dense foods high uh, density nutrition density with that and to enjoy it so that's why i'm really picky about what i eat and smart i I remember when i first started intermittent fasting i was still on the radio and that's when you know you're at the station at dark 30 you know four five five in the morning doing the morning show and people that would come on your radio show always brought food, right? They always brought breakfast or cupcakes because we were like animals at the zoo. They wanted to feed us. And, um, you know, forever I would eat it because I ate every three hours and by then it was time to eat again. But then when I started intermittent fasting, I would take the treat and I would take it home like my grandmother, when she would take the salt uh, and pepper and the ketchup from the table, um, I would take it home and I would unwrap it after I had my whatever my meal was. So I really loved, I love food more now and I am a home cook. Um, That's great. And I've even taught cooking classes. So I really, I do Indian foods. I really love Indian food and some other things um, because I really appreciate all the flavors, all the things. Yeah, we have my fiance is very similar. Very similar. Yep. Lisa, I hate my to husband. do this, but I'm late for my other interview. Okay. <laughs> you're the best. Okay. I'm hanging up. Goodbye. Thank Le- you. Thank you. You're wonderful. I, I enjoyed you. it so much. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.